Okay, so this is the part two of uh, chapter one out of the purple book. Again, it's just not me um, repeating the questions. It's just information that I received while going over the questions. Uh, and this is part two, so the second half of the chapter. Um, so we left off on the common flexor origin muscles include the pronator teres, the flexicarpi radialis, the FDS, and the palmaris longus, and FCU. So again, the common flexor origin muscles that attach to the medial epicondyle is the pronator teres, the FCR, the FCU, the FDS, and the palmaris longus. The posterior interosseous nerve compression sites are the arcata froche, which is most common, the, the fibrous bands anterior to the radial head, the radial recurrent vessels, tendinous margin of the ECRB muscle and supinator muscle. This is known as the radial tunnel syndrome. And the... Um, Arcade of Froch arises from the lateral epicondyle. So, again, posterior interosseous nerve compression sites are the Arcade of Froch, which is the most common, and it arises from the lateral epicondyle region. Then the PIN can also be compressed by fibrous bands anterior to the radial head, the radial recurrent vessels, the PIN can also be compressed at the radial tunnel, which is the tendinous margin of the ECRB muscle and the supinator. The fascia of the FCU and the arcuate ligament of Osborne form the roof of the cubital tunnel. The roof slackens in extension and tightens in flexion, which is why elbow flexion provokes symptoms of patients with ulnar nerve compression. Intrinsic tightness is detected when the PIP flexion increases when the MCP is flexed. So you can look at this using a Bunnell's test. The Bunnell's test, you put the MCP in extension and passive IP flexion. Next, you place the MCP in flexion and passively flex the IPs again. If the PIP can be passively flexed to greater extent when the MP is in flexion, then when it's in extension, then intrinsic tightness is present. So again, to look for intrinsic tightness, you can do the Bunnell's test where you Place the patient's hand, um, IP's flexion first with MP extension, and then you compare that to a full composite fist of MP's flexion and IP's passively flexed. And if the PIPs can be passively flexed more when the, when the metacarpals are extended versus flexion, then that will indicate intrinsic tightness. Extrinsic tightness is detectable when PIP flexion increases 
with MCP extension, but decreases with MCP flexion. The oblique pulley is the most critical thumb pulley for normal IP flexion. In the digits, A2 and A4 are the most critical pulleys. So in the thumb, the oblique pulley is the most critical pulley for normal IP flexion, but in the digits, it's A2 and A4 pulleys are the most critical. Radial nerve function. So the radial nerve innervates the ECRL and then bifurcates becoming the PIN and the radial sensory nerve. The PIN innervates the ECRB, the ECU, EDC, EIP, EPL, EDM, APL, and EPB. So in other words, all the extensors. The PIN innervates all the extensors. Lister's tubercle is located on the distal radius. The EPL takes a 45 degree turn around Lister's tubercle, which can cause rupture after a distal radius fracture if the tubercle is disrupted. The radiocapitellar joint is the capitellum, the radial head, the lateral collateral, the annular and lateral ulnar collateral ligaments. So the radiocapitellar joint is comprised of the capitellum, the radial head, the lateral collateral ligament, the annular ligament, and the lateral ulnar collateral ligaments. So we're gonna look at muscles and where their insertion points are. The brachialis inserts on the coronoid process of the ulna. The pectoralis major inserts to the bicipital groove. The supraspinatus inserts on the greater tubercle of the humerus. The subscapularis inserts at the lesser tubercle of the humerus. And the coracobrachialis inserts on the shaft of the humerus. The mobile wad of Henry, that is a muscle group comprised of the brachioradialis, the ECRB, and the ECRL. This can be palpated when the patient's form and wrist are in neutral. So if you're resting there and you just feel that big lump of muscle on uh, your forearm, that's called the mobile wad of Henry. Uh, and that is what's most affected with lateral uh, epicondylitis. So the mobile wad of Henry includes the brachioradialis, the ECRB, and the ECRL. Sagittal bands are bands on both the radial and ulnar side of the MCP. Sagittal bands centralize the EDC and maintain their location over the dorsum of the MPJ. MCP is, is known as zone five. <clears throat> So the most common sagittal band injury is to the ulnar middle finger and the tendon will sublux into the radial valley.
a closed sagittal band injury can be treated with the affected digit in full extension to slight hyperextension or with an RMO for six weeks. So in other words, you want to unload that, um, that EDC that's associated with that sagittal band rupture. You want to unload it and put that MCP in um, extension or maybe even slight hyperextension for six weeks. So now we're going to talk about the structures and what their functions are. So deep transverse metacarpal ligament stabilizes the metacarpal volar plates. The proper collateral ligament tightens in flexion and loosens in extension. The accessory collateral ligament does the opposite. It tightens with extension of the PIP and loosens inflection. Sagittal bands centralizes the EDC over the MCP. MCP collateral ligaments, contractures of this ligament prevent MCP flexion. The triangular ligament prevents volar shifting of the lateral bands. The transverse retinacular ligament prevents dorsal shifting of the lateral bands. And the transverse carpal ligament provides the pulley mechanism for the flexor tendon sheath. So we're going to go over that again. The deep transverse metacarpal ligament stabilizes the MCP volar plates. The proper collateral ligaments tightens in flexion and loosens in extension. But the accessory collateral ligament tightens with extension of the PIP and loosens in flexion. So the proper collateral ligament is going to tighten in flexion and loosen in extension, but the accessory collateral ligament is going to do the opposite. It's going to tighten with extension and loosen in flexion. The sagittal bands centralize the EDC over the MCP. The MCP collateral ligaments, if there are contractures, it will limit MCP flexion. The triangular ligament prevents volar shifting of the lateral bands, while the transverse retinacular ligament prevents dorsal shifting of the lateral bands. The transverse carpal ligament provides the pulley mechanism for the flexor tendon sheath. The ECU tendon is active to some degree during all wrist movements, but the ECU's primary function in prone is ulnar deviation, but in supination, the ECU performs wrist extension. The thumb CMC is a saddle joint that is the main stabilizer of the thumb is the anterior oblique ligament. One complication of a flexor tendon graft is when the graft is too long resulting in insufficient tension. 
If this is the case, you will see when the patient is attempting digital flexion, the IPs will extend. This is known as the lumbrical plus finger. This can also occur following trauma, causing contraction of the lumbricals. In order to stretch the intrinsic muscles, if you hold the patient's uh, MCP in hyperextension and have them perform the hook fist, that's gonna stretch the intrinsic muscles. A passive range of motion of a hook fist with MP hyperextension also stretches the tight intrinsics. Claw hand. This is caused by a low ulnar nerve injury leading to intrinsic paralysis. So again, claw hand is gonna be a low ulnar nerve injury <clears throat> due to intrinsic paralysis. The loss of the interossei and the ulnar two lumbricals result in the inability to flex the MCP and to fully extend the IPs. In low ulnar nerve injuries, like at the Guillain's Canal, the patient will have a strong claw deformity. However, in a high ulnar nerve injury, the patient will have a weak claw deformity due to loss of long flexor tendons. So if it's a low ulnar nerve injury, they're gonna have a strong claw due to intrinsic paralysis. But if it's a high ulnar nerve injury, they're gonna have a weak claw because they lost their long flexor tendons. The corrective surgeries for claw hand, you could do um, what's called an FDS for tell. Uh, it's also a called a modified styles or Bunnell transfer. This is where the middle finger FDS tendon is split in four equal tells. Each slip is passed through the lumbrical canal of each finger and inserted into the radial lateral bands of the middle finger, ring finger, and small finger, and the ulnar lateral band of the index finger. A dorsal block orthosis post-cast removal is required. Another option to correct a claw hand surgically is the ECRL foretel, which is also known as the Brands Intrinsic Transfer. This is where they take a free tendon graft which is usually the plantaris tendon, and it is sutured to the distal end of the ECRL tendon and divided into four tails and are attached to the radial lateral bands of the middle finger, ring finger, small finger, and the ulnar lateral band of the index finger. Postoperatively, they will be casted or placed in a dorsal blocking splint in 50 degrees MCP flexion. A third corrective surgery for claw hand is known um, as the FDS lasso, also called the Zancoli's lasso procedure. This is where the FDS tendon is divided at the proximal phalanx of each digit. It is looped around the A1 pulley and sutured to itself at the MCP level. The post-op splint for an FDS lasso procedure includes the MCPs at 60 to 70 degrees flexion and the IPs full extension. In other words, an intrinsic plus position for 12 weeks. So again, corrective surgeries for a claw hand. You can have the FDS foretail, which is known as the modified styles or Bunnell transfer.
They can do an ECRL foretell, which is known as the brand's intrinsic transfer. This includes a free tendon graft or the FDS lasso, which is the Zancoli's lasso procedure. All of them will require a um, dorsal blocking orthosis post and, and we're putting it into the safe position. Papillary ridges. Papillary ridges are present at the volar fingertips of our fingerprints. And, our, and they are our fingerprints, sorry. Um, they're controlled by the, the ANS and will flatten in the absence of neural innervation. So our fingerprints, that's called papillary ridges, and that's controlled by the autonomic nervous system. And so if there's not any neural innervation, you'll see that flattening. The lunula is the white convex area seen at the base of the nail. A paronychia is an acute or chronic nail infection. A healthy patient will take six months to regrow their nail post-removal of an entire nail plate. The Allen's test. This is where you're looking, you're testing the uh, radial and ulnar arteries for good blood flow. So the Allen's test, the examiner holds the ulnar and radial artery at the wrist and has the patient pump the digits. The radial artery is released first and the flow is assessed. The technique is repeated and the ulnar artery is released. A seven to 10 second return of flow is seen as abnormal. Upper extremity pain from vascular disease. You could have vasospasms um, where they will have mild paresthesia and marked pallor. You can have an obstructive arterial problem. So there will be pain with exertion that is alleviated by rest. Sudden arterial occlusion, which is severe pain with sudden onset and severe arterial insufficiency, which is where the patient will have pain at rest. There are three collagen-based structures at the peripheral nerve that include the epineurium, the perineurium, and the endoneurium. The epineurium is the outer layer which acts as a cushion for the fascicles. The perineurium surrounds the fascicle and provides re resistance to tensile stresses. The perineurium is the blood nerve barrier that resists toxic molecules such as antigens and viruses. The endoneurium surrounds and protects each individual axon. Median nerve innervation includes the pronator teres, the FCR, the middle finger FDP. The nerve then splits into the AIN, or the anterior interosseous nerve, which innervates the FPL and the FDP to the index finger. The main branch enters the hand through the carpal tunnel region, innervating the thenar muscles and the lumbricals to the index finger and middle finger. So median nerve innervation includes the pronator teres, the FCR, the middle finger FDP, 
and then the nerve splits into the AIN, which innervates the FPL and the FDP to the index finger. The main branch enters the hand through the carpal tunnel region, innervating the thenar muscles, the lumbricals to the index finger and middle finger. The lumbricals originate from the profundus tendons in the palm and insert onto the dorsal apparatus, which is the extensor assembly. The lumbricals and interossei flex the MCP and extend the IPs. However, lumbricals are stronger extensors of the IPs. Therefore, they're not primary flexors of the MPs. The interossei are stronger than the lumbricals. Flexor tendons receive nutrition through vascular perfusion and synovial diffusion. Direct vascularization of the FDS and FDP occur through the vincula. Full composite digital extension occurs by the extrinsic tendons, which is the EDC, the EI, and the EDM. They go through the sagittal bands and perform MCP extension. Then the intrinsic musculature extends the PIPs and the lateral bands conjoin to form the terminal tendon extending DIP. So full composite digital extension occurs by the extrinsic tendons, either the EDC, EI, or EDM, pulling through the sagittal bands, causing MP flex extension, and then the intrinsics extend the PIP and the lateral bands complete and extend the DIP as they form the terminal tendon. An EDC zone three repair, so that's gonna be over your MCPs, involve lateral bands, and if both structures are repaired, I'm sorry, back that up. Um, an EDC zone three repair, zone three is gonna be over your PIPs, I'm sorry. Um, zone one is DIPs, Zone three is PIPs and five is MCPs. So, excuse me, an EDC zone three repair. So we're looking at your central slip. Um, this is gonna involve lateral bands. And if both structures are repaired, then you have to immobilize the PIP and the DIP in full extension for six weeks. Or you can do a short arc motion protocol where in three weeks post-surgery, you can begin gentle PIP flexion, but no greater than 30 degrees using a template orthotic. You're gonna watch for extension lag closely, and as long as they don't develop that extension lag, then you can progress to 40 to 50 degrees, and then slowly 60 to 80 by the next week. So each week you give a little more as long as they are not losing any extension. Between the exercises, the extension orthotic uh, that places joint in full extension, it's worn full time. So for a central slip repair or ADC zone three, the patient may be immobilized for six weeks in full extension, or the doctor may 
want a short arc motion protocol where you initially immobilize them in full extension, but then at three weeks post-op, you can begin gentle PIP flexion uh, to about 30 degrees using a template orthotic, and then each week you can add 10 degrees as long as they don't um, develop an extensor lag. All right, ulnar nerve repair at the Guillain's Canal, the order of muscle reinnervation. So it's going to be first the three hypothenar muscles, which include the abductor digiti minimi, the flexor digiti minimi, and then the opponent's digiti minimi. After the hypothenars, the ulnar two lumbricals and the interossei, and then the last three muscles to return are the first dorsal interossei, the adductor pollicis, and the deep head of the flexor pollicis brevis. So again, after an ulnar nerve repair at the Guillain's Canal, the order of re-innervation, the three hypothenar muscles will be first. So that includes the abductor digiti minimi, the flexor digiti minimi, and then the opponent's digiti minimi. And then after the hypothenars, the ulnar two lumbricals and interossei will be innervated. And then last three muscles to return are the dorsal interossei, the adductor pollicis, and the deep head of the flexor pollicis brevis. Secretin syndrome, also known as Wallbanger's disease. This is unexplained fibrotic edema over the dorsal MPJs that does not improve despite edema management and unexplained by multiple physicians. Generally, this is self-inflicted injury for secondary gain and you want to refer them to psych. A dorsal dislocation of the PIP results in a torn volar plate. The joint can be relocated and remain stable if the critical corners remain intact. The critical corners refer to the lateral volar plate, the proper collateral ligament, and the accessory collateral ligament converging at the base of the middle phalanx. Conservative management includes a dorsal block splint with a PIP and 30 degrees flexion. So for a dorsal dislocation of the PIP, it results in a torn volar plate. It can be, the joint can be relocated and remain stable if the critical corners remain intact. The critical corners refer to the lateral volar plate, the proper collateral ligament, and the accessory collateral ligament converging at the base of the middle phalanx. Conservative management for a PIP dorsal dislocation includes a dorsal block splint with the PIP and 30 degree flexion because you want to put slack on the volar plate. A rupture of the transverse retinacular ligament of the PIP results in a swan neck deformity. The transverse retinacular ligament is a stabilization structure of the lateral bands at the PIP. 
Disruption of the TRL causes the lateral bands to migrate dorsally, causing PIP hyperextension and DIP flexion. So again, a rupture of the transverse rectangular ligament of the PIP will result in a swan neck deformity. The intrinsic muscle that stabilizes the index finger during lateral pinch is the first dorsal interossei. The interossei are stronger than the lumbricals. Dorsal interossei abduct the fingers and volar interossei adduct. Radial nerve innervation includes the triceps, the brachioradialis, the ECRL, and then the radial nerve dives at the lateral epicondyle into the PIN and the radial sensory nerve. The PIN innervates the supinator, the ECRB, the EDC, the EPL, EPB, EIP, EDM, and APL. So again, the radial nerve innervates the triceps, the brachioradialis, and all of the extensors and the abductor pollicis longus is all the radial nerve. Palmaris longus is present in 85% of the population. The palmaris longus originates at the medial epicondyle and inserts at the palmar aponeurosis. If you have the patient flex the wrist with the thumb and small finger touching, it will make the palmaris longus protrude if it's present. This is a common donor tendon, the palmaris longus. Wartenberg sign is the inability to adduct the small finger due to a high or low ulnar nerve injury. Wartenberg syndrome is compression of the radial sensory nerve with possible dysthesia over the first uh, dorsal web space. Igawa's sign is inability to abduct or adduct the middle finger. So Wartenberg's sign is inability to adduct the small finger, but Igawa's sign is inability to abduct and adduct the middle finger. So you can't cross, basically. The benediction sign is a claw posture of the ring finger or small finger in ulnar nerve compression. So claw hand is called the benediction sign. In a combined ulnar nerve and median nerve injury, and an intrinsic minus hand is formed. So all the fingers will be clawed. The intrinsic paralysis creates PIP flexion contractures, adaptive shortening of the extrinsic flexors, and interior displacement of the lateral bands. Intrinsic muscles contribute to 50% of the power grasp. In a low median nerve injury, the major loss of thumb function is opposition. Saddle syndrome is a painful condition where the interossei lumbrical adhesions are impinging on the deep transverse metacarpal ligaments during intrinsic contracture. 
This is an unusual condition. The patient will complain of pain with the Bunnell's test, and they will have pain with gripping and during active intrinsic function. So saddle syndrome is a painful condition where the interossei lumbrical adhesions are impinging on the deep transverse metacarpal ligaments during intrinsic contracture. It's an unusual condition, but with saddle syndrome, the patient will complain of pain with the Bunnell's test, gripping, and during active intrinsic function. And that is it for chapter one of the purple book.